Welcome back to A Push for Understanding. This is Degler Section 15.5, Challenge and Response. And we did it, guys. This is the last Degler section of the unit. This is actually the last Degler section uh, in the book. We're finished with Degler after this um, podcast, so I'm going to cry, guys. <laughs> um, this Degler section is all about um, America's uh, sort of challenge that needs to get through and then it's response to that challenge that's why it's called that with the title man i feel like i do this every time where i just tell you what the title means and it's really obvious what the title means so anyway um america's big challenge is communism at this point as world war ii ends it's pretty clear that the soviets are pretty keen on taking as much land as possible and establishing satellite states in Eastern Europe, uh, like with Poland, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Hungary, Romania, uh, Greece, Turkey, and basically wanting to spread their communist influence across the world. And so that's the challenge America needs to, res uh, needs to kind of rise to, and that's why America is no longer isolationist, which is, I believe, what we talked about in the last Degler section. Um, why America's not isolationist anymore, but in short, Red Scare. So America's afraid of communism, and the only way America sees um, being able to fight the spread of communism is to stay involved in politics and become what FDR calls the arsenal of democracy, which is, of course, the United States. Um, so America really adopts this idea of containment, basically trying to, um, basically saying that communism will accept, or will continue to exist in countries that have communism as their systems, but we're not going to allow it to extend any further than what it is. In other words, communism can stay where it is, but um, the spread of communism and the indoctrination, as America would call it, the indoctrination of other countries into communism is unacceptable, and we will do everything in our power to keep communism out of countries that are not communist right now. And so that... Um, eventually leads to the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan and NATO. I've talked about all three of these buzzwords um, multiple times at this point, but just to go over it quickly, the Truman Doctrine basically justifies America's involvement um, and policies in kind of an idealist motive to protect countries that are not communist. Uh, the Marshall Plan spends $13 billion on um, Western European countries to help rebuild them after the war and basically uh, show that capitalism works and that communism doesn't work and therefore um, basically inspires um, the Western countries and the Western people in those countries not to elect communist leaders uh, because their country's been destroyed. And then NATO is, of course, um, the military alliance that the United States builds uh, at the North Atlantic Treaty Organization um, with the United States, Canada, and 28 other countries, 28 countries at this point, but um, not... Uh, in the immediate uh, aftermath of World War II. So again, uh, containment policies, and then kind of uh, what we kind of what we do from there uh, to try and enforce those containment policies. Then we have two big wars that we need to talk about. We have Korea, and we have Vietnam. Now, um, Korea is uh, it's well, it's called the Forgotten War for a reason. Um, Korea basically was kind of a useless war um, in that America didn't really gain anything from it and that America didn't really lose anything from it besides, you know, the thousands of people that we lost in the war. But uh, 
we tend not to try and think about that for, you know, pretty obvious reasons. Human death is not exactly something we like to focus on. Um, and materialistically, America did not gain a lot from it. And so uh, Korea is kind of seen as the stalemate. We, uh, well, North Korea pushes South Korea almost all the way out. And then we push North Korea almost all the way out until China gets involved. And then we go back to like right where we started. So, uh, and then that line pretty much sits there. Um, well, I suppose until 2014 when the war officially ended. Wait, no, it was not 2014. I believe it was 2017 or 2018. Um, the Korean War officially ended, but uh, the Korean War pretty much just hit a stalemate for pretty much that whole time. Um, and so America kind of just fought a war for like no reason, which was kind of never heard of at that point in time. America always had a, um, always needed a kind of very um, large commitment to wars. Uh, think about World War Two or World War One. Um, it, America didn't just join because we wanted to. Uh, it would take the sinking of the Lusitania and the Zimmerman telegram in terms of World War One, and Pearl Harbor in terms of World War Two to really get America involved and invested in these wars. But with Korea, it's not necessary for the American public uh, because we're, again, not isolationists anymore and our containment policies force us to get involved in every conflict um, that involves a communist and capitalist country fighting each other. So, again, Korea is a complete stalemate, which is not what happened in Vietnam. Vietnam is the opposite of a stalemate. <laughs> uh, Vietnam, if you know anything about Vietnam, you probably know about the Viet Cong fighters and the guerrilla warfare that um, was extremely either deadly to the Americans or extremely traumatic to the Americans. Um, I think... With the Vietnam War, you really shouldn't look at the number of deaths in Vietnam. It was about 70,000 Americans uh, died in Vietnam. But it doesn't really tell the whole story. Uh, the whole story of Vietnam is about the soldiers that did survive and the uh, traumatic experiences they had to live through um, when they lived back in the United States. For me personally, I did not serve in Vietnam, by the way. <laughs> um, for me personally, I had an uncle who served in Vietnam, and the story that I've been told, the very limited story that I've been told, was that once he came home, uh, he locked himself uh, in his room uh, for about a week, and basically just kind of just sat there. Um, so the traumatic experiences that people went through was in many ways worse than death. Um, and so the war in Vietnam not only left a stain on just the human toll, 70,000 people is not nothing, um, and I'm not trying to write them off, but the human toll is the people who came back and the realization in American households that um, these people had been lost or had lost a part of themselves in Vietnam that they won't be able to get back. So Vietnam really shows um, both the devastation of American loss and American loss of kind of your mental state, but also the um, sort of trauma involved in war and also um, American kind of stupidity <laughs> um, and kind of the uh, kind of lack of intelligence behind our idealistic values, like with containment and getting involved in every fight 
um, for the sake of getting involved in every fight is not a great foreign policy. And so America really needs to kind of relax its policies. And this is obviously a very gradual shift in American isolationism. Um, because, And I have a chart here that might be worth writing down for you. If you think about... Um, if you think about the three wars that America had fought at this point, um, in kind of this like stage through Degler, uh, fifteen point five, you have America during World War Two, uh, which beats Germany, Italy, and Japan. That's a complete victory. Um, I don't think there's any question that America didn't win those wars, um, and despite the human toll, it's seen as a victory because of the economic boom, the saving and uh, the, the liberation of the world, the death of the Nazis, and fascism, and the Japanese um, who unjustly bombed Pearl Harbor, uh, the uh, liberation of the Jews and uh, members who um, were killed in the Holocaust. You have the liberation of countries that were invaded by Nazi Germany and Japan. Um, and so it's it's very easily a... Um, it's a very easily identifiable way to say that America did win uh, World War II. Um, with Korea, it's a stalemate. It's, we didn't, whereas with Korea, it is a, um, pretty much undeniable stalemate, um, both America and China, and then obviously the proxy war between uh, North Korea and South Korea, it's pretty much a stalemate of uh, the borders pushed right back to roughly about where it was, and um, both sides take pretty similar um, death tolls. So with Korea, America doesn't really have the same idea that it has with uh, Vietnam, because we didn't lose anything. But with Vietnam, um, America is kind of exposed as just being a warmongering country. Um, we're involved. We have needless death for an ultimately failed goal, we're not able to contain communism in uh, Vietnam. Our soldiers come home with PTSD. We spend a ton of money, billions of dollars, uh, on Vietnam, and the human toll that we uh, give the Vietnamese is even greater than that of what we gave Americans. We bomb um, civilian uh, areas. We pretty much completely kill off entire towns of women and children. Um, we slaughter animals, we bomb forests, we burn every we we burn uh, kind of the natural environment in Vietnam. It's a complete disaster um, for America, and it makes us seem like warmongers and um, villains on the world stage. And so, this gradual shift from all-out victory in Germany to all-out defeat in Vietnam is a slow one. It happens over about 20 to 30 years. Um, but it eventually leads to the election of Jimmy Carter, who ran on a somewhat isolationist policy, not completely isolationist, um, but much more isolationist than, uh, say, Kennedy or Nixon or Eisenhower, um, and basically argued that America should value human rights and that America should be the protectorate of the world. One of my favorite quotes from Jimmy Carter is that uh, when he says, I believe it's uh, in the 2000s, he wins the Nobel Peace Prize, um, and in his speech he says that war is a necessary evil, but he, uh, he clarifies that by saying it's just that. Uh, war is always a necessary evil, never a necessary good, and that war should always be avoided uh, when possible. It should always be the last 
um, strategy and uh, foreign policy. And so Jimmy Carter really represents kind of the American shift from Germany to Vietnam and how America sort of wants to not be as involved, but also involved. Um, and we're kind of seeing this like today um, because American foreign policy is still, we're still involved in the world. We're still involved in NATO and our alliances and in the United Nations. Um, but we haven't taken quite the same lead as we have um, in the early years of uh, the post-World War II landscape. We're not as involved. We're sort of beginning to shy away, especially after Iraq and Afghanistan, um, even Somalia and Kosovo uh, in the 90s, we started to realize, like, mm, probably don't need to be involved in every conflict. Um, and yet, despite that, we're still spending a lot of money on our military, but not really using the military as often as we have before. So Jimmy Carter is kind of the transitional president between uh, the post-World War II kind of Red Scare uh, fear that Truman or uh, Kennedy or Eisenhower or Nixon kind of represented, and the uh, still involved uh, presidents like Reagan or Clinton or Bush. Uh, you know, these guys were not isolationists by any um, any stretch of the imagination, and they were certainly not pacifists, um, but they were um, a little more timid. They kind of represent this idea of Vietnamization, uh, which is kind of the looming idea of just kind of a fear of Vietnam, um, getting involved in a conflict for years with no easy escape, and um, not being able to escape that, and eventually having America be embarrassed on the world stage. So just kind of a general good idea for, or not really a good idea, but just kind of a general present looming thought throughout presidents. Um, minds and the American people's minds, of course, um, as we exit Vietnam and kind of shift into the 1980s, or even, sorry, the 1970s and 1980s, um, and we see kind of a a slight shift in, in American foreign policy and the beginnings of detente. Uh, but that's, that's a different time period, and I'll stick within my own. So that's all I wanted to say for this, Stegler, and I hope you learned something new, and I hope you'll come back for the next. Um, podcast. Goodbye.